0: Welcome to the SCA Lectures Podcast Series, brought to you by Olam Specialty Coffee, connecting roasters to the finest specialty green coffees. The following is a talk presented live at the 2017 Global Specialty Coffee Expo, the largest annual gathering of specialty coffee professionals.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for attending our lecture, building out a roasting panel. Uh, We're going to introduce ourselves in just a couple moments here, but just so you know, here's who who we are Uh, great so kind of our start to this lecture is are you prepared to hyper age at a rate previously unknown because that's what's going to happen to you when you start building out a roasting plant
0: no pressure yeah
1: no No pressure. pressure yeah Um, (laughs) it's a big, big task. So we, um, presented this panel last year and got a lot of good feedback for it. So we are happy to present it again this year. And we brought somebody else in who has a different perspective, who attended that panel, who's building out a smaller, who has just built out a smaller roasting operation. So we're going to round ourselves out. Um, each of us have slightly different scenarios. So we hope we'll be giving you good perspective on different types of roasting plants and different decisions you'll make along the way. Um, What do I want to say? Uh, Before we jump in, we're going to have each of us quickly mention one of the top things that we would say to you to prepare yourself and to not forget about in the building out a roasting process. So I'm just going to do that quickly, and then we'll do introductions. So starting at the far end, Peter, what is your one thing you would tell everyone?
2: Be
0: flexible. Cool. Chris? Uh, Think long-term. Try and get ahead of, like, think 10 years down the road. Uh, Don't think of the immediate, so look long term. Uh, Your growth might happen faster than you anticipate, uh, and nobody can really schedule for that. So think of a longer term, ten years, five, ten years down the road when buying equipment and or automation.
1: Cool. Brett?
0: Yeah, and mine would be to completely understand
3: the change order process when you're in construction, um, knowing who's going to sign off and approve, and that hallway conversations are not necessarily allowed to change the scope of work.
1: That's a good one, hallway conversations. I had not thought about that. Um, and my biggest one would be to have a contingency budget, have a, or contingency line item in your budget, because there will be things that you are not expecting. Uh, so we kind of did that in a, in a wonky order. Now we'll do some introductions. So one of your first survivors, we like to call ourselves survivors because we made it through.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, uh, again, my name is Brett Israelson. I work with Caldy's Coffee in St. Louis, Missouri. Our annual roasting is about a million pounds. Uh, we roast on a 75-kilo probat, a 22-kilo probat, and the new facility that we'll be talking about is about 32,500 square feet.
1: And next?
2: My name is Peter Lyons. I own Lyons Pride Coffee in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I'm using a P12 probat and have a facility of 4,200 Square feet.
0: Hi, I'm Chris Miller. I'm from Lockalum Coffee in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have an existing. We built out an existing fifty thousand. Uh, Sorry. Square foot. You got me. Yeah. No, I jumped slide. Sorry. Okay. This uh, is still Chris. That's not us. That's. <laughs> not. Um, so we expanded our fifty thousand square foot facility. Um, we added a second one hundred twenty kilo Brumbati roaster, and uh, we also have a. So we have two 120-kilo roasters and a 50-kilo Diedrich, and uh, our annual output at the time was approaching 3 million pounds, and this year it's going to be about 4. Um, so that's kind of where we're at.
1: Cool. Uh, and I am Andy Trindle-Mersch. I'm with Phil's Coffee out in California, our roasting plants in Oakland. Uh, we built out about a 50,000-square-foot brand-new roasting operation. We have two G120-capacity roasters, and what else do I want to say I think that's that 's about it lots of lots of things we'll share along the way uh, so quickly our agenda we've there 's a lot of different ways that you could approach this really monumental task and topic uh, so we 've tried to structure it in a way that we hope will make it sort of phases that we walk you through the process and what you 'll find is that there are some repetitive. Looking kind of slides and topics. That's because you're visiting these same topics throughout the entire process, and so that's on purpose. Uh, We're going to take you through it in our way. We ask for you to hold all the questions at the end. Uh, So we look forward to the journey. Oh, and I forgot to mention the capacity for fills. We're roasting. We were roasting about two million pounds when we pulled the turn the switch on our roasters, and we'll be about three million pounds this year. First, first phase.
3: Feasibility and scope. Um, some things that we would really highly recommend is become very familiar with your municipality and the restrictions that may or may not be applied. Um, And then kind of get a current feel for where you're at, obviously you probably know where you're at, but your level of automation and where you see yourself in five, ten years, and kind of take that into consideration when shopping for a building or uh, approaching the the layout. Um, And then also just review your audit history. Uh, Most likely you've had uh, Third-party audits or food safety audits go through that and see what this new building um, can address through those that history of audits.
1: What do I want to say with um, setting up this phase? Is like this is the early phase. So this is when you're just kind of looking out at the feasibility of of doing your roasting operation or your move or whatever, and really scaling the scope. So and what if, what is the scope of that? So and now we'll take you through some specific steps of that. This broad early phase. It could be six months out. It could be two years out. But this is the early phase of your planning.
3: Yeah. So people, resources. Um, Sort of the way that uh, it can kind of best be broken out is having a team lead or a project manager for four categories, I'd say, key categories. One is aesthetic design. Um, What do you want the place to look like? Is your belt going to match your shoes? That kind of thing. Um, And then knowing how much of your budget you want to put towards aesthetic looks. Um, Also have a layout process, FDA slash OSHA person, who can really assist with the floor plan and how can we arrange this, basically mimicking our flow chart and optimize uh, the new space. Um, An equipment function specialist, someone that's familiar with amperage, your gravity drops, height restrictions, things of that nature, and then someone who's gonna manage the budget. This has to be a person that's not (laughs) afraid of fierce conversations, for sure, and is very disciplined.
1: Anybody else have any other people, resources you would throw out you want to have in mind in this early phase?
0: Yeah, we, um, for Lachlan, we used a consulting company uh, to give us kind of more of a fresh perspective. Uh, It's nice to have somebody come in and take a look at your facility. If you're doing an existing facility or you're going to move forward with a new place, is have somebody come in and take you, give you a fresh look. Um, It helped us trim a lot of fat and waste from our warehouse, just like espresso machines were never ever going to use ever again, and it was just like, well, get rid of them in some capacity or another. Uh, And it also helped us kind of forecast what our future growth is going to look like. Where are we going to look like in five, ten years down the road? Um, The other thing that came out of this was it developed a lot of relationships with other people like throughout the country, not just through this consulting company, but also throughout the country. It gave us points of contact that we could say, well, where are you guys? You guys are bigger than us. What were you guys working on that might help us in the future.
2: And to add to that, like Chris was mentioning, I represent the smaller roasters going from a garage to a larger facility and reaching out to my peer group through the SCA and other organizations, calling them saying, how did you get to that level? And uh-huh. then I can scale that down. But that's, that is instrumental in efficiency. I'm
1: so glad you mentioned that because I relied on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Chris got some phone calls. Other people got phone calls just like, what do you know about this? I don't know anything yeah. about it. So don't, um, don't be afraid to network and, and get people on your panel. And early on, it's great to do it right in this very early phase, long before you're going to start putting in purchase orders. Find your friends and people who can help coax you and guide you through the process will be really helpful.
0: So, for the project scope, uh, I'm going to reiterate this is like think 10 years down the road uh, when you're buying equipment. You can't predict how fast your growth is going to happen. Um, for us, an example is that we bought a second 120 kilo roaster, and our growth is happening faster than we could have possibly anticipated. And we probably should have pulled the trigger on a 240 instead um, to manage that growth and give us a longer amount of time that we're going to be in our existing facility. As it's looking now, we just were two years in pretty much from our uh, build out and we were anticipating getting five years out of it and it looks like we're only going to get about three and a half to four out of it before we're starting to look and giving us that growth if we would have pulled the trigger on a bigger roaster we would have been a little bit better off to be able to manage that and give us more time to build up more capital moving forward. Um, Budget your budget is ultimately going to Dictate what you're going to be able to purchase. Um, I'm not going to underestimate that. Like Everybody's going to be working on a different set of scale. But the one thing that I've never, ever heard in 12 years of roasting is, God, I wish I got a smaller roaster. Um, <laughs> everybody's always like... Oh, or a
1: smaller building. Yeah, God, it's just so big. It's
0: like, <laughs> I wish I got a three kilo. I should have gotten at least a five or a ten. Um, because it's just, got, you're going to surprise yourself as like how much work goes. It's like, yeah, it's only like... 13 minutes a roast or whatever but that builds up over time when you're doing 30 40 roasts a day or 20 roasts or 25 roasts and like multiply that over five six seven days and all of a sudden you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off
1: yeah, this was a big one. I, I was fortunate to not have come from, as much from the roasting side, but the green importing side, and I had a lot of customers over many years that would open roasting plants, and I heard it over and over again. Within a year, they were like, the space is too small our roaster too small. I heard it all the time. So when I was brought in to help Phil's build out their roasting plant, first thing I said is, we're thinking out 10, 20 years. We are going to do that. So I just highly recommend it that you think way out. Budget and financing, Chris alluded to it. We've talked about it. You're going to see this slide and this topic throughout every single phase. Plan your budget. It's sometimes very hard early on to know what your budget is. It's hard to throw a number out there. But start putting things on paper. Start putting budget categories out there. Sometimes you do exactly know your budget as well. You've received some funding or you have a certain amount in the bank. Um, Even if you, you don't have that and you're just trying to figure out what is it going to cost me, either way, start mapping out some categories Um, identify them, start tracking them. And most important, make sure you have, if it's you, it's, it's a little easier, but if you're in a bigger company building out a bigger roasting plant, make sure you have buy-in from your, your executive team, your CFO, uh, your board. You know, I know Chris and I both had different board reportings we had to go through throughout our process. Why is it all of a sudden a million dollars higher Make sure you're you're talking to them early on, so that they're with you in the budget process and, and going through it. And I think Peter, you'd probably say it's as important from a small perspective to start early, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, it is. Cool. With oh, can I go? Ahead? Yeah,
0: please. With ours. Uh, like dealing, I'm not an owner of our company or anything like that, so I have a board and bosses that I have to talk to all the time, and it was constant. We had weekly meetings at least once, twice, three times a week of where we were at with our budgeting and where we were at with our timeline. Um, that way, everybody's on the same page, and there's no real surprise. Everybody knows that you're behind, and through whatever circumstances, that dictates it. And no one likes surprises during this period of time. It's really stressful. There's a lot of work and money going into it. So nobody likes being surprised during this period. So make sure everybody just sits in a room once a week. Everybody knows where they're at. And that way, every there's communication. It's all about communication.
1: And what I would say is that depending upon how you think of a surprise, there are always surprises. But the main thing is you can make them less stressful if you're all in the same room and talking about them throughout the process. So... You're all handling the surprise together, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Site selection. So for us, we all have different experiences of what we're doing, whether it's an individual build-out, in, uh, moving down the street, or we had an existing location that we expanded on, and you are starting from scratch. scratch. Um, so for us, it was an existing location, um, and... We had to deal with permitting and city and everything like that, and finding out all the needs of the equipment that we wanted to purchase was the first thing that we had to do. Our roastery is in a fairly residential area, so we have to make sure that we're going to be able to get the gas that we need or the electric that we need, and what's the timeline that's going to be on that. Luckily, we were off of a gas main, and we could increase our volume and increase the size of the piping coming into the building and everything like that. So it was was fairly easy from that standpoint, um, and after that, it was just more about a coordination between myself, our facility managers, the board, and then ultimately the utility companies. Um, nobody cares about your timeline outside of your building. Um, all utility companies, like Philadelphia, we deal with unions, and they don't care if it's after 4 o'clock. They're, they're done for the day. Um, so as a result, you have to be flexible on that aspect, but nobody cares if you're running behind or on budget. So try and be patient. And understand, like, get way out ahead of that. That's the first thing that we looked at was gas and electricity, because it takes longer than you are going to possibly imagine
1: yeah my we that was sort of one of our one of two horror stories about our build out and why it took over a year. Um, w- the first one was we we very carefully selected our site and a couple of other things you want to look at are obviously you want to have some sense of the equipment you 're going to put in, even though we haven 't talked about that you 're going to have s- some sense of scope of your facility so that you know square footage that you need. Do you need ceiling height? You know, what, 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 all those types of things you need to be thinking about at this phase. And we went through all that diligence. We spent a number of months finding the right space. We even thought to ask about electrical capacity because we had some ideas on the equipment we needed. But f- for us, what happened is that there was a massive electrical panel in a big panel room. It looked great. I know nothing about electrics at the time. Now I know a lot. It um, looked great, looked fabulous. And then it turns out that there was no power from the street to that electrical panel, and the the landlord did not tell us that so we ended up with about four months of delays about three hundred thousand dollars or something to upgrade the electrical panel so it was a huge thing so ask a lot go deep with your questions um, with your landlord in your facility maybe even consider bringing someone out to check things out make sure that they're as they say they are um, and in this case, our landlord—it it wasn't even malicious. They just—they didn't know either. So, <laughs> nobody else had tried to use the capacity of that panel, so they didn't realize that it hadn't been really connected.
3: So, you know, once once you have selected your location, uh, the next step is really trying to gather enough information to start receiving as accurate of bids as possible. Um, plugging your your flowchart in, this is a good time to sort of merge the new, new floor plan and, and your existing flow chart and see how you can optimize that. Um, also, your equipment schedule, making sure you know what type of electric, three-phase, single-phase, overall amperage needs are. Um, and also, where do you want to be in five, ten years? How is that going to affect your amperage? Uh, trust us, it's a lot easier to do this during construction than to shut down production to try to cu- tie into your, your gas line or get a bigger meter. And then also just taking into account the aesthetic look, for us, uh, it was very important that when guests came to our roastery, they could see the heart and soul of our business, which is the cupping room and the roasters. So really the entire floor plan was based around those being in the center of our building. So uh, we kind of worked center out.
1: And so we're, we're shifting here from sort of some of the early feasibility and scope planning. We're gonna move you into some more details about design and, and planning of the details now. So that's where we're gonna go from, from here. Um, so we'll
0: another talk. thing is don't underestimate your employees' input. Uh, they're the ones that are gonna be working on packaging machines, they're the ones that are gonna be standing around, they're the ones that are gonna have the experience of like what's it like to stand in front of a bag sealer for eight hours a day or mm-hmm. weighing out coffee. Mm-hmm. Don't underestimate that. It also gets them to buy in on everything that's going on. So the frustration and the delays and everything like that, they're a part of it. And including them in the process, whether that's just like, where do you think this table should go? Like, that's important of where you're going to map out where your existing facility or where your facility is going to be.
1: Yeah, and that phases perfectly into like the... So we're revisiting people resources at this point. Your early feasibility and scope planning team, um, most of those people are going to come along with you. Um, Some may not, early consultants may not, but mostly they're going to come on with you, but you're also going to probably need to bring in different people at this phase as you're starting to get into the actual design and planning. So through each major stage, start thinking about your people resources. Who do you need? So at this point, as Chris was saying bring on your own team. If you already have a team, they're really critical to start bringing into the process. Now might be another time to consider if you want outside consultants, do you need an architect, um, general contractor? (laughs) Do you need one of those? Yes. I didn't get one. So I became a general contractor. I would not recommend having your coffee buyer become a general contractor. (laughs) I think that Chris had a. which one of you also didn't have a GC, right? You too, Brett, yeah. yeah, very, very hard. I recommend that they're twenty percent above the cost, worth it, but you can decide for yourself if it's a very small build out, maybe you don't need to bring in a general contractor, but if it's of a large scale, bring in an expert who can manage the people
2: when we 're talking about that team and maybe you are a smaller group, maybe it's just yourself, that team can be your peer group, your friends and family that already cup or roast or part of your process, even getting their buy-in encourages you. So it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of employees. It could be who are you sharing coffee with and what's motivating you to leave where you are to get bigger. And that scope really helps define your vision. And I can't say enough about skilled workforce. A contractor, an architect, it will save you so much money and time. Um, It will help... uh, disarm conversations when you're dealing with this this city
1: absolutely yeah and I like the idea of bringing in your own network of resources there in that photo is my neighbor Dan Fox he's an amazing paint guy and we needed to have our silos painted because they came to us unpainted Um, so I brought in my local paint expert to help (laughs) manage that process so look everywhere for resources they're going to be really valuable to you
0: and at this point in time like coffee roasters are everywhere in the United States and all over the world at this point somebody else in the vicinity of where you're at is roasting coffee somewhere and they've been through this and are in my experience more than happy to share their experience and like what went wrong for them, what what would they do better things like that. Uh, roasters Guild is a really good asset for that if anybody's not a part of that. Just talking on forums and things like mm-hmm. that and just reaching out like blind emails I answer blind emails of people who get my email address and are like what happened for this? What did you guys do? And things like that. And I'm more than happy to share that. And that's been my experience is talking to other mm-hmm. roasters, people that are bigger than us, what they've been through and just being like, what did you guys do? What worked for you? And that's that's the great thing about the coffee community is everybody's in this in one. All We're all in this together and we're all doing what we think is right. But at the same time, everybody's trying to get better at what they do.
4: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I imagine any of us Speaking for everybody else, we'll give you our email addresses if you want to rely on us as resources after this. Um, another thing at this point, make sure you have a good, strong project management manager on your team, someone who knows how to manage a large-scale project, check in on Gantt charts, timeline. You're going to want all that kind of stuff as an in-house tool, even with or without a general contractor. So identify who in your company can help you with that.
0: So for the site prep needs, this is going to be kind of redundant, but I'll just keep saying the same thing so everybody gets it. Um, So our facilities manager and myself were kind of the point of contact for our board and for our COO. So we were responsible for getting all the needs of all the equipment and then getting it prepped through our gas company, through our electrician's, and all of that sort of things. Um, we then hired a general contractor who helped to coordinate the labor and management electricians, permits, <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff. It's really going to piss Andy off. Um, <laughs> but the result was we were more or less on time and on budget um, because they were able, if there was downtime or we were behind on one thing, they would shift labor to another part. Um, I don't, this isn't going to be something that's going to affect right. somebody in a smaller capacity, but if you're looking at a bigger capacity, just moving that labor around we, we were on time, and you
1: weren't. I, we, were, we were really not on time.
0: Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you're paying more, but at the same time, think about that time that you're not going to be roasting coffee. You're not going to be packaging coffee, and that's just going to keep kicking the can down the line and costing you more money in the long run.
1: So other things on site prep, you're going to want to be thinking about it this time. So you've chosen your site. Hopefully you get lucky and your what the landlord thinks is available in your space is available, but you're going to want to be starting to prep plumbing, electrical. Um, definitely there's a sli- uh, tag on there for FISMA. Has everybody heard of FISMA by this point? Everybody, FISMA, you need to know about this, whether you're building out a small roasting plant, a large roasting plant, and think about it this early. What is it that you need in your facility to prepare you for meeting compliance of the Food Safety Modernization Act? So keep that in mind. It has everything to do with water fountains, so you're, you might need plumbing in a different place than it than it is currently. And this, you want to do all this early because it takes a lot of time. So evaluate your space, start thinking about all of the, the prep work that you need your space, you might even have major construction. you guys had construction yes, right? right so do you want to
3: yeah, I mean I think that can kind of this piggyback into the facility layout slide perfect but um, really assembling that team that we talked about and probably the most important person is the guy that's the compliance person, the process it might be the same person your process and your food compliance guy or gal um, to op to optimize for future. Future needs. Um, The FISMA is imminent, so it's not something uh, depending on size or uh, if you choose to join. It's something we're all going to have to be a part of, and doing it right now is going to save so many, so many headaches. Um, Things that you need to keep in mind are hand sinks, floor drains, convenient convenience receptacles. These are the kind of things like when you're looking at it on paper, uh, you have tons of room. I'm never going to need a convenience receptacle here. Um, How far is it really to walk to a hand sink? Um, And and they're easily forgotten. Um, The one uh, thing we did is we did corrugate cutouts. We actually bought a giant 10-foot roll of cardboard corrugate um, once we had the facility layout, and then we cut out every single piece of equipment so we could see it sort of in 3D, work around it, see how much room we have uh, for growth, storage, things like that.
1: I think that's really awesome. I wish I had talked to him before. We didn't end up doing that, but that would have been enormously valuable because there are sometimes things you don't realize about even though you see flat on a piece of paper, like the square footage that a piece of equipment is taking, it doesn't really connect totally until it's live. And then you start to look at look at the people, um, your, your team member flow as they're doing tasks. This is the time to kind of put it on paper, ideally 3D model it um, physically with cardboard cutouts and walk around, get a sense of things before um, you start locking in things because you may be surprised that something will work Differently or poorly in the way that you have it thought out, so spend some time in this phase before you start you know bringing in equipment.:
0: We mapped ours out, we just got a roll of duct tape and just mapped out where everything went, and that would we changed a lot of things. Just seeing it on a diagram and a drawing and everything like that doesn't really do it justice. Walk around the facility, just put some marks on the floor use duct, we just used duct tape and that's really modern and everything like that, so it's pretty easy. <laughs> And that matter of just, like, spending a couple of hours walking the floor, seeing, like, is there enough room to get a rack through there? Is there enough room for us to do this, that, or the other thing? It'll make a world of difference.
1: And obviously, one of the biggest things that you're going to want to be thinking about early on is your equipment. What equipment do you need? And you have to ask yourself some early questions. How automated is your process, is, is your plant going to be? How manual is it going to be? Is it somewhere in between and why? Um, and start, again, think scaling, like what you want to be doing in 5, 10, 15 years as you're starting to map out your equipment choices. And I highly recommend you set up just a spreadsheet of your criteria points. What are the criteria that matter to you most in equipment. It's probably going to be some combination of a lot of things. There's going to be cost, of course. It's going to be vendor reputation. There's going to be style slash process of equipment like you know your packaging machine—is it a form fill or is it preformed bags? You know some some of those decisions you have to think through. Type of roaster, drum, infrared—what is it going to be? All start mapping out what your criteria are. Open your mind too. Don't limit yourself to what you think you want. Map them out. Map out um, reputation for service after and during process. Um, and I would just personally say get a lot of feedback on all of the equipment and all the vendors that you're looking at, um, to from friends, from resources, from rec- referrals that they give you um, to make sure that you're really getting the best information about your vendor choices. You're going to be living with these big pieces of equipment for or any size equipment for a long time because you've just spent a ton of money. <laughs> so make sure that you make the right choices and really put together a spreadsheet, pros, cons, and spend a lot of time with your decisions. Have anything to... Uh,
0: we first got recommendations from our consultants and then visited trade shows and other facilities that had the same equipment that we were looking at. Um, this helped us make more important decisions. Uh, we definitely shifted packaging machines after we had visited other facilities. Uh, Our site was already prepped for an additional roaster uh, from the get-go. So that was pretty easy. We had the space already mapped out and where it was going to go. We have a decent amount of automation. and We're recommended to do more, like Chain Bay uh, systems and things like that. But it didn't mess with our budget at the time. Um, It would have put us pretty severely over the budget. Uh, But it was nice to have the option uh, so that we could revisit it at another time. Um, Having options, remember, they're just options and you can kind of do what's best for you and how that's going to work best for you.
1: And the three of us got very large-scale equipment, so <laughs> <laughs> our criteria were, were a little different than Peter's. And as an attendee of our panel last year, he's like, you guys missed a lot of stuff. So <laughs> he's here to talk to us a little, add some value about some of the smaller equipment choices you need to be thinking about as well.
2: So when you're not dealing with a board and a panel and, and a larger scale of optional money... To spend, I think the decisions as smaller roasters moving out, those decisions are critical. Um, Chris brought out an excellent point. These next three days, talk to every vendor that you think you may be considering, whether that's packaging. I know I switched packaging machinery last year because where was I really going to be in five years? And what I was looking at doing manual, I could only do X number of packages per hour. And if I grew my business, that means there's more hours that I'm hand-sealing a bag, which means I'm not roasting or contacting clients or selling my product. So at some point, I was going to cap out, and I could never do anything more because I'm so manual. But I could look at other things that I can start manual and add (coughs) semi-automatic and grow those that were financially responsible for where I am. Ask those questions, and don't be afraid to know what is your scope. Do you need, you know... A pallet jack or do you need a forklift? Will you need a forklift in five years? Plan now for that because my building can't fit a forklift. I I take my bags out of my trunk onto a cart and wheel that in. And that works for me today. It won't work for me in five years. I'm already saving that money for that next step. And that's why time and time again we talk about where are you going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. If you don't know where you're going to go, you won't know how to get there. And so when you're looking at automation, I mean manual, ask yourself, what can you and your team do in an eight-hour workday? And everything that has to deal with those operations is not being crafted. You're not making more beans. You're not making more sales. And that goes to the whole scope of of all of that. Uh, I have uh, a pedal pedal (coughs) so I can be on a phone call and just seal my bags that are already pre-weighed so I can redeem my time in the hour or two that I'm sealing up bags for the week. And I have designated days that I roast and package the next day, so I don't schedule phone calls on Tuesdays and Fridays. That's my work days. I can do phone calls and shows on Mondays and Thursdays and Saturdays. Find out what works for you, but be realistic about the scope of work you can do in a work day.
0: Like a way fill. A way fill is 100% the most worthwhile thing that you're going to invest in at a smaller scale. It's just like... Manually weighing out bags takes a minute, a bag, a minute and a half a bag. A weigh fill takes 10 seconds. So you're saving hours and hours and hours of work and the labor that you're going to invest in on top of that, if you're just doing it manually, if that's what's in your budget and everything like that. But think long term once again. Like a weigh fill is going to save you hours of work every day. And that is more time that you can spend on buying better coffee, roasting better, learning more about what you're doing to push your business forward.
2: And go back to your budget. What is your, your scope of, of capable product for the end of that week? And then when you look at time and time is money, you'll find the dollars in that wayfill immediately and it, there won't be a struggle. I don't have it today, but you'll never have it if you don't look at that and, and make those kinds of decisions.
1: We're so revisiting budget that's and budget finance, finance again. again. That's right.
3: <laughs> Yeah, with budgeting and financing, keeping in mind the more informed you and ownership-slash-stakeholders are, uh, the less surprises you're going to have. Um, So making sure you're having a weekly meeting with both ownership and contractors and then comparing that to your contingency plan. Are we at the beginning phases of construction but we've already used 15 percent of our contingency? The answer is yes, you're probably going to have to make additional cuts down the road. So just being aware of that. And then lead time and payment structure on equipment, understanding it might take eight, 10, 12 weeks for the equipment to be assembled and shipped to you. And then what is payment like? Do they need 50% down now, 50% upon um, shipping? And are the funds available for said payment requirements? Sometimes it might take three, four days to pull a giant sum of money um, out of a line of credit and it needs to ship today. So thinking of all of this in advance, really save
0: you headaches. And the one thing to remember is that when you're talking about purchasing equipment or bags or anything like that, everything's negotiable. Uh, Just like basic business stuff is like, you know, work on your terms. Like, think of your cash flow. Think long out. Push your terms out as far as you can. And most often if people are going to see potential in what you're doing, they're going to work with you because they want to grow with you and continue that revenue stream for their business. So thinking long term And also negotiating with them if I can get, if you start off with 15 day terms on payment and push it out to 30 or 45 or 60 or so on and so forth, like people are going to work with you because they want your business. And if you're getting more volume stuff, they're going to see that rolling in. So negotiate with your vendors.
1: And how many equipment manufacturers in this room are totally upset by that? (laughs) 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 Probably you're used to it. Um, important, important for, for folks who are kind of expanding an existing operation or moving a facility, this is a little less easy to forget about, but if you're building out a new facility, don't forget about your green coffee beans. Obviously you're going to need them to roast in your nice new equipment. So don't forget to start thinking about them early. Um, Ideally, you have the ability to um, put together your cupping lab or your QC lab ahead of your full build-out so you can start sample roasting and cupping and look at green coffee qualities. But make sure that you do start thinking about that. Start creating the relationships with your vendors. Same thing actually on payment terms. Like if you're a brand-new roaster and you're out shopping for green beans, they're all going to want prepayment in advance. So prepare yourself from a budget standpoint for that. And also start developing your relationships with them, so maybe they will give you some terms out of the gate too, as they're understanding that you're in a budget constraint and um, you know trying to build out your plant. So just think about your green beans nice and early. And those (laughs) are—I have to just call out—those are from uh, Ariana at Costa Oro in Portland. Those are her two kids standing on your coffee bags.
0: So managing the work, uh, our main install happened from April through June, which is our busiest time of the year. I would recommend not doing that um, because (laughs) there's going to be unforeseen circumstances that are going to pop up every single day. And, you know, we were expanding our existing facility. We have no choice. The orders are coming in. And we have to keep up with everything that was going on. But the communication that we had between our project leads, our staff, our contractors, and the board are, like, really, really important. So that, once again, when those unforeseen circumstances happen, you're as far out ahead of it as possible and you can shift labor or resources over to something else.
1: Yeah, so we're going to continue on with the managing the work. So, again, just to kind of revisit the big picture, early on we did feasibility and scope we did design and layout and started working on some specifics. And now we're saying, okay, ideally, you've put in your equipment purchase orders. You've got your facility. You've got site prep work happening. Now we're going to talk about everything it takes once all that's done. And I just did that in 30 seconds. It'll take you minimum three months, by the way. Um, maybe, maybe longer. Um, but, so we're going to move through some of the same slides, some of the same topics, but talk about them in this phase of the work, which is managing the build-out of your plant.
3: When constructing a timeline, if it's best to think of it as several different timelines and then merge them together and sort of adjust as you see fit. A construction schedule is obviously very important. No, if they say 12 weeks, no way it's going to be 12 <laughs> weeks. So don't disappoint yourself there. A mechanical schedule an equipment arrival schedule. So when is equipment going to be coming to the new building? Is there going to be someone there to receive it? Do we have a forklift there to receive it? Things like that. Um, Finish and furniture schedule. Do we need extra labor there for for that? Uh, And then punch lists. I would go ahead and pencil in a couple of punch list dates in your timeline. So ideally right before an inspection and right after. You go through, you make your punch list, what needs to be done, um, and then you follow up after an inspection. And then last and not least is the moving schedule and the plan to go live. This can get a little tricky Um, so make sure that your production team, who's also probably going to be your moving
0: team, is ready for that (laughs) transition. Your initial timeline's probably going to be wrong. Um, It's great to be optimistic about it, but don't beat yourself up over missing the timeline and or revising and revisiting it. Um, After all, it's probably the first time you're going to do this. Um, So be, breathe, take a breath, don't kill yourself because you're a couple weeks late or something like that, but be realistic with yourself and everything that's coming down the pike and once again you don't know most of the stuff until it happens
2: my key takeaway um, when we started this was flexibility and that's exactly what happened with me I had a a building a facility and flooding occurred in Louisiana last year and so I had to start all over because the building flooded and but you just take that wisdom you build upon it I'm a better roaster a better coffee person now and add to that but that flexibility um, helps you sleep better at night. It's going to be okay.
1: Mm -hmm. One thing that's helpful, too, is knowing how, if you're not uh, the owner of your company but reporting up to people is to kind of get a sense of whether they like um, the worst-case scenario or the best-case scenario in the information that they're looking at. Um, Because I learned about halfway through that I should have been doing things differently with our CFO because of how he liked to project. So just know which which way you want to look at the information, whether you're going to do the best-case scenario timeline and present that to your leadership or you're going to do the worst-case scenario. scenario timeline and present that to your leadership or present them all if they're really dialoguing with you throughout the whole process but think about that think about who you're reporting to and how you're going to present the information Um, and just to talk specifically through some of those phases so you know one of the first things after you've prepped your site um, with basic information you've chosen your facility is you start placing those equipment purchase orders It, it can vary anywhere from you know a scale for your lab will take you know four or six weeks maybe, or maybe you go pick it up at the Home Depot, I don't know. Um, Your roasters might take six months, depending upon where you're getting them from, or nine months. So, you know, that's why that's one of the earliest phases, although some equipment comes much quicker. Um, And after you choose the equipment, the reason why we have additional site prep construction is in the earlier phase, you were able to look at, I'm going to need roughly this much power. I'm going to need roughly this much gas. I'm going to need some sinks for FISMA and all of this. But until you choose your actual equipment, you're not going to know where you need electricity specifically located, where you need gas lines. You're not going to know all of that until you're a little farther along. And you may find that you have to do some additional upgrades because you chose a piece of equipment that has more needs or different needs. So expect that while those equipment, but it's good because, your your equipment manufacturers are working on building out your equipment, and you now have time to get all of their detailed specs, share them with your contractor, and start doing any additional work on your site to get ready. And then obviously, um, Brett touched on it, but I just have a quick shipping and receiving story. So we had our big giant silos arrive. They hold about 15,000 pounds of green coffee each. And we would have thought... That are, I mean, we had the specs for delivery, we had everything, we have four dock doors, we have all that, but they arrived on a truck that did not have the capacity to unload them, and we have a little forklift. So there was no way to physically get those huge, large silos off of the truck. We had to very last, and the truck union needed to leave and said, ah, I'm taking, I'm either, you know, dropping it here or, (laughs) or I'm taking it back. You know, I'm, I'm not waiting any longer. So literally in an emergency, I had to find a local company that specialized apparently in people who didn't plan for their equipment receiving, (laughs) um, (laughs) and charged a lot of money to come over with big equipment and help us get it off the truck. So we assumed because we didn't know any better. We had no experience that, the vendor made sure that it got off the truck. They don't necessarily. So think through your receiving really carefully. Make sure you have the right people, the right equipment. Um, that's important. Um, and then the next phase is the mechanical installation, so that's after all your equipment is actually placed on the floor. It's uncreated, it's unboxed. it's you know you put it in your you've moved out the cardboard cutouts and put it actually on the floor. The mechanical installation is probably still going to be done by outside contractors, not yet by your equipment vendors, so that's where they hook up the electrical, the plumbing, uh anything air. Don't forget about air compressors. We didn't mention that. Air compressors are really important in big facilities, so keep that in mind. Um, So the the mechanical installation is what you have with your outside contractors who are putting everything together. Um, then the commissioning is the phase generally where your equipment vendor comes in and brings their team to start turning on the buttons, but they 're not going to turn on the buttons unless you 've already got the wires all connected by your electrician, your plumber, all of that so and you what you don 't want to do and this gets this is a really tricky part of the timeline because the mechanical installation inevitably goes wrong. Um, Takes longer than you expect, but you've scheduled your manufacturers to come out because they're very busy and they're seeing a lot of other people. And commissioning can be one, two, three weeks, depending upon the size of equipment you're talking about. So getting on their schedule is really important and it can become very hard to do that. So keep in constant touch with them about what's happening with your facility and your mechanical installation so that ideally, if you miss the first scheduled date, we missed three of them, I think, for our roasters, that by the time you're really ready, right, no, now we're really ready, that they're not telling you six more months till they can get a commissioning team out there. So you, you got to really be watching your scheduling a lot during this phase. Um, and then the last phase is testing. People, oh, this is me, too. I shouldn't have talked so much before. Um, <laughs> um, one more time, we're going to look at people resources, your contractors. Uh, different um, in the phase of the mechanical installation phases, you're going to have your plumbers, your electricians, as I mentioned, maybe your air compressor company. Who else am I forgetting? Construction. You might have regular construction. You might have cement that needs to, for earthquake. Or I'm in California, so we had to do a lot of uh, cement pouring in our building to prepare for the heavy weight of equipment. These are all different contractors you're going to need to find and manage or work with your GC to oversee. Um, Make sure you do a lot of recon on your contractors, and you can start doing this well in advance of this phase. Like if you've got some time early on after you've done stuff, go ahead and start vetting contractors. Make a lot of reference phone calls. Make sure you get good people who are going to do good work and get as close to helping you meet your timeline as possible. And ideally, if they've worked in coffee, equipment it's really helpful because it is different and specialized so see if you can find anyone who's piped in gas for roasters before it's a little easier
0: yeah rgc had built out other coffee plants in the area and like all over the world it came with really positive uh recommendations but we just talked to other people throughout the industry as well and found out how they used uh, who they used once again everybody likes coffee everybody works together with it so reach out to other people find out who they used and use those resources. Everybody will try and help each other out, is in my experience.
1: And cost is, this is where you're going to have a lot of cost. A lot of times that's unexpected exactly how much. I had no idea that our electrical work would end up costing about a $1 million of electrical contractor work. That's a lot more than we budget. We budget 250000 <laughs> So you don't be, prepare yourself for what some of these things are um, and, and, and keep that in mind in your budget. Some of this work is highly detailed, um, and if you have a big space and they're putting wires and conduit a lot of different places, it's going to cost a lot, and it also takes a lot of time. It takes months and months to get all of that conduit run.
0: So permits, remember these? Uh, <laughs> hopefully this is one of the first things that you started working on. Uh, because the bureaucracy can be overwhelming and tedious, uh, working in Philadelphia, it can just, they, once again, nobody cares about your timeline. Uh, but so hopefully that's one of the first things that you started working on. Once you found out the capacity of the things that you need and the things that you're going to need in the facility, start working on your permits immediately because our permitting was things that slowed us down for put us back for a couple of weeks as far as nobody cares. And they're just working on their own timeline. And when they get it done, they get it done.
1: Yeah, permitting was an, our second big one. The first one was that electrical panel not actually having power to, or, yeah, electrical not actually having from the street. The second was permitting. We had an enormous hiccup with our permitting because we were kind of designing and and doing things along the way rather than doing a full map, we thought that would be good because we could do different sections of our plant. Let's let the green coffee and roasting, let's get that designed and going. And then we're going to start working on the roasted handling side because there's enormous operations, both of them. But our uh, local building permit agency said no. And they put a halt on us because they wanted to see the entire thing mapped out and designed. They didn't want us to phase it. So we got stalled for another Six months, six months, just literally not able to do much while we were trying to finish designing, building out, and putting on paper the rest of the second phase. So get get on that early.
2: That kind of also brings up the question on how you as a company operate. There is begging for forgiveness and Mm -hmm. there is permission. I am not suggesting one above the other,
1: but we might be. Well, no, just, be
2: <laughs> just use your intuition. It's, um, it's difficult. I'm in an area where there are no laws. I came originally from California, and when you're looking at roasting coffee, there's a manual of like 380 pages of everything you can and can't do. In Louisiana, it's like toxic waste, and because there's no laws, they just err on the most extreme situation possible. Um, so it's interesting. So in certain cases, when I... You see other roasters in other parts of the country open to the public. Maybe a half firewall, just so you can't touch that. Maybe without permission, I may have moved that direction and taken some pictures. (laughs) That's me, and that burden is solely on Lion's Pride coffee. But y'all will need to determine those battles for yourself.
1: And I have to say, like, one of our biggest gooses, I had no idea that you have to get a permit to pour a cement slab does everybody know that? Probably everybody does. I had no idea. So we poured a cement slab. <laughs> and and our contractor didn't tell us either, so you would have thought they would have helped us out. Um, but then the, uh, <laughs> the city came in and said, you cannot pour a cement slab, you're gonna have to jackhammer this up, get the permit, and do it. But in this, so I had a lot of stress around this, but I have to say to the theory of asking forgiveness, that was one of the easiest things we worked through because I'm nice and friendly, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. I really didn't, though. Um, And that went smoother (laughs) than some of the other stuff where we stopped and tried to follow all the rules. Again, we're not advocating, and I'm actually someone who's very panicked about that kind of stuff, but maybe it works.
3: (laughs) Managing, which is really more like Adapting your timeline, um, just remember to breathe um, and do this every single week at your meetings. Make sure, again, uh, you're, you're talking to the contractors. That information is getting related to ownership stakeholders. Um, this just takes away the, the shock factor when we uh, inev- inevitably have to say we, we need to push the grand opening back two weeks. Um, so, yeah, just an, on top of that, try not to back yourself into a corner. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure to open. Um, You're going to have to pick a date, but do your best to make sure there are five or ten days behind that that you could could push it back if you had to, which does happen. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, this is just good advice throughout the process is just plan for change. Get get your team, your entire team up and below you to plan for change and and manage that change well. That's going to be half your battle is kind of keeping everyone's stress level. It just is what it is, and you're just going to do your best to work through it. One more time, budget and finance. Check in with your budget at this point. Again, likely you've had some um, surprises with mechanical installation for your equipment. So permitting, you might have surprises along that regard as well. So make sure that you're checking in on your budget, you're updating it, you're reviewing it, you're making sure you have the right cash um, available. So just check in again. Last phase going live. Uh,
0: so now the real fun starts. Uh, so we were still producing the whole time. So we were live the whole way through our installation. Um, it was more about managing the work in the space for us than working out roast profiles and tons of cupping that go along with that. That's going to come as you move forward. Um, Packaging was putting in time and the training and the miter twerks that actually helped relieve some of the pressure. Um, And just managing the space, you know, things come in big boxes. Where are you going to put it versus you're still managing all the green coffee coming in, the different packaging materials, your normal deliveries in and out and everything like that. So it was just more about managing the space and being patient. Um, It's going to end. You have no choice but to keep moving forward, and it will end eventually. So just keep move forward. Just keep moving forward. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, r- a ramp up strategy. A few weeks, months back, maybe you can start planning for a ramp up strategy.
3: Yeah, just making sure you have a master plan, and then if something horrible does happen, what is your backup plan? Because the most important thing is that you're gonna fulfill your customer's orders and they're not gonna know that any of this is going on. So plan, how do, you, how do you fulfill orders on Monday if we didn't get the roaster hooked up or you know, if the shelves aren't installed. So having all of that maybe pulled in advance.
1: And we had, we had carefully constructed a really nice ramp-up strategy. That was one thing we put some good thought into. We'll bring these major ingredients in-house and start roasting them. Then we'll bring, you know, a combination, of a couple majors, some minors. We planned it all out, plotted it, and then it took so darn long to get through the whole process that somewhere around December 1st, our CEO, he saw that it was getting close to done, and we said, we're about ready to start the ramp-up strategy, and here's what it looks like. He says, you have 30 days get it done, (laughs) Um, which we actually did to the credit of my roast master, uh, who was awesome. We turned on the roasters by January 1. We got it done. So you may or may not be able to have your ramp-up strategy, but I'd say plan for it. If you can, it's nicer to be able to kind of switch from new equipment to old equipment or from no equipment to new equipment, but you might also just end up (laughs) going for it.
2: And that that was also uh, my situation where you have flooding and now Last year, I should have been open, and I'm, I'm back one year. But I reached out to the Roasters Guild and peers and and doing ghost roasting with another roastery about an hour away. And I go down, roast with them two days a week, and I pack it under my label. But I may not be making that profit, but I'm still touching the community. I'm still fulfilling orders while the rest are happening. And that goes through those relationships that we build at the very beginning with every vendor with... Everybody in the coffee community and how you treat one another, it it tends to work out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we're actually moving on to some final thoughts here. Hopefully you've gotten a lot, and there's obviously a lot more details to all of these phases, so hopefully some information in the handouts will be helpful as well. Um, But some final thoughts to think about is uh, we just want to remind you, people, don't forget about the people through every phase you go through. Think about who you need. Um, Don't forget about your team, like people who are already doing the operations or who are already on your team. That's really, really important. And also what outside resources you need, whether they're paid or Networking friends that you can rely on. That's important. Money, forget, don't ever forget about the budget. I think we harped on that a lot. Um, <laughs> and then breathing. <laughs> Just breathe and take it is gonna, it's gonna be harder than you think, even with I went into it talking to a lot of friends in the industry, all telling me this is gonna suck. Prepare for it. And it still sucked worse than that. So <laughs> so let us tell you that. Y'all still want to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. you still so just, but just know it is, but you will make it through and um, just kind of prepare yourself for breathing deep and, and going along the way. And then we're going to leave you with with some three specific to-dos because there's a lot right here, right now. So here's some we identified. Brett, do you want to? Yeah, Who was going to read that? Or Peter, you were going to take those.
2: On. Yeah. Well, I was just going to talk about being diligent and focused was the one that was my takeaway is every week have that meeting so that you know where you're going um, there's so many so many irons in that fire it's easy to get lost in the work so that Monday meeting ours are on Monday with my accountant and myself that's all that it is but that way we know what we're doing for the next week so be diligent and patient with yourself Yeah. lots of meetings yeah
1: yeah And just uh, the diligency is good and aligning with your stakeholders on life expectancy of the plant. That's a key one. If you haven't started anything yet right now, that would be one of the key ones I would say is figure out how long this plant is meant to serve your business needs and put that on your radar. Because that will change decisions you make even if it looks too expensive or too big. But if you expect that plant to last 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you need to ask those questions now. Great. So we're done with our presentation portion, and we're available for questions if anyone has them. What did you do
2: with the packaging
0: for nitrogen? Do you use nitrogen all the time, or is that just a given? We have a nitrogen generator uh, at our facility. We used to have it get it piped in. Uh, we used to have deliveries with a big tank. Uh, But then it just became more economically feasible for us to get nitrogen. So we have portion control bags. We have 12-ounce bags and packaging machines that go along with that. And all of that stuff is nitrogen flushed. Um, Our single-origin, like, higher-point coffees, that's all done manually, so we don't nitrogen flush those. Um, That's all roasted to order. But our bigger production stuff, everything's nitrogen flushed.
3: For us, everything is nitrogen flushed, and we just bring in the big tanks once a month. We'll roll in four tanks or something like that.
1: We, this, it's a long, complicated story. The short story is we're just starting to nitrogen flush, um, and we're rolling out capacity for that in our next package. Our current packaging machine has the capability, but not the right, um, it's not tooled properly yet, and we're getting our second packaging, major packaging machine now, and that will come ready for nitrogen flushing. And I'm tasked with going to the show floor and looking at some nitrogen generators. So if anyone knows anything, let me know.
2: (laughs) I don't nitrogen flush, uh, and this this expo here, I'll be looking into what are those first steps small canisters and and doing that. My name is Melissa. I um,
1: own Brewpoint Coffee near Chicago. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, I forget. They always remind me, can you go to the mic? Because sometimes they record these and then they won't be able to hear your question. Um, my name is Melissa. I own Brewpoint Coffee near Chicagoland. Um, and I'm actually opening up fairly something very, fairly similar to Peter. Um, actually, everything that was like on your list is like, we have that same machine, and right. it's going to be the same size, and that's kind of cool. Um, and essentially, we have this interesting situation where the city is helping fund 25% of our budget. Um, but they wow. also don't. Yeah, it's
2: pretty awesome. Um, but they also have no regulations around
1: roasting, specifically. And um, I think essentially like the hope is that We'll collaborate in figuring out like what the regulations should be together. So, what are some things if you're working with a town that doesn't have regulations and you kind of get to be the forefront of it? Um, like, what would you do? What is some advice that you'd have for someone who hasn't done this before?
0: Uh, well, we have a satellite roastery in Chicago, um, and we operate on the whole of the business as. Uh, as Peter eloquently put it, it's like asking for forgiveness rather than permission. <laughs> so the fact that the city's coming to you uh, that goes against how we <laughs> built our business. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I think that's just talking to other roasters in Chicago and see what their success are, like uh, who's out there halfway at the metric, and talking to them and see what they did, um, and moving forward kind of like that and kind of just gauging, like, the – The the extreme is going to be California regulation. The other extreme is Texas, where they just, whatever you want to do, you can do it. So finding kind of a happy medium, you want to be a responsible business owner, you want to be a responsible person for the planet and all that sort of stuff that Mm -hmm. goes along with that. So use what you want out of it and use that as kind of the guidance. And, like, what's what's your ethics for your company, what you want to move forward to, like, do you need an afterburner, that type of stuff.
1: And your hopefully your equipment manufacturer can give you feedback and advice as well. And then tell them your philosophy is your philosophy to be a good the best corporate citizen you can be within reason. Mm-hmm. Let them know that so that they can help you do that. If your philosophy is not that, which would be too bad, but mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, let them know that too. Let them guide you through the process. It definitely yes. is. I
2: do highly recommend you reaching out to all of your equipment vendors okay. and get their input because the – Suggestions you make are a reflection of also those larger businesses, and that's part yeah. of that relationship. Um, okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome.
4: Sure. Anyone else? Hey. Um, sorry, I came in late, so I don't know your name. The, the Peter. Gym, Peter. Um, yeah, my name's Stephen. My wife and I, we we own Boxwood Coffee in Summit in New Jersey. We're just starting to build um, a second retail location, and we're doing a coffee roaster- coffee shop concept um and it's kind of scary listening to you talk because you're talking about much larger spaces than we've given ourselves to build the facility and we're looking at like six 700 square feet as the roasting facility with a 12 with a 40 pound roaster in the middle of it some packaging storage um can you address you know we talk about you know planning ahead and thinking about where you want to be in five ten years time we've thought five years ahead and we think this is enough for a wholesale roasting facility but is it i mean is it going to be enough is nine hundred square feet, is a thousand square feet enough to do all of the, everything you need to do, or am I being naive or should I be thinking larger scale, should I be okay with a smaller scale operation?
2: So I, I can't directly speak about what's perfect for y'all. I think that sometimes our scope is limited by our experience. And until you are in that situation, you will find that you will want more room. It could be the location that you have for that facility is perfect for what it is, but you might want to be looking for a metal building outside of town that the more complicated roast can be done in. A single origin being that you have less uh, you know, inventory in that facility may work. You want the animation. You want the showmanship of what you're doing. But as far as making money and being a business, you may not want to incorporate the public in that with having a coffee shop and the complexities of... Uh, just contamination, people mm-hmm. touching, and, and it, yeah, you, you will find out some of the food laws and FISMA, and, and being able to control your goods it ends up being the complication, not that the desire is not there. Um, so you may use your space, but you may want to begin now looking for a space that's less rent outside of the city that you could really manufacture and, and really produce a quality product under your control.
4: It's funny, we, we kind of do it the opposite way around. We have a location outside. A large warehouse that we use, we're looking to bring that into a retail location. But maybe we keep both. I
2: would choose one. If you have an espresso roast that's great and you're known for, do one skew there. You still get some animation. You get some fun connection to that. But you don't need five, six, eight different types of green beans if you already have a facility. Mm -hmm. That's my recommendation.
1: I just want to say you have the nicest New Jersey accent I've ever heard. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh,
0: One little note, if everybody hasn't heard of FSMA yet, uh, it's FSMA, Food Safety Modernization Act. Start getting into it. It's coming in September. Uh, There's going to be some oversight. If you don't know about it, start looking into it. Start doing some research. I can't recommend that enough. Start preparing for it because people are going to be looking at making sure that everything is going to be safe the public going forward, especially, and Brent and I were just talking about this earlier, cold brew. Yep, um, and, uh, that is an untapped area right now as far as any semblance of, rec- of regulation or food safety. And as that market is growing for everybody at this point, I think, start paying attention because uh, there's regulation coming down the pike. Can't recommend that enough.
2: I already went to get certified for FISMA and those because... I don't have a roastery. So moving forward, I can put that at the very beginning when I have less complications, I'm not worried about multiple machines and all that, so that as I grow, I've already sorted through those plans of action. um, And I can grow into that as those laws change and so forth. Some of them will get to work in
1: reverse. Yeah, and you won't be grandfathered <laughs> uh, grandfathering in under FSMA will not be allowed. Like sometimes with other air, you know air quality other things you can sometimes if you didn't know or laws change your grandfathered FSMA is not going to work that way. You're going to be required to live up to the current constant, you know, kind of expectations, so make sure you understand it.
0: Cool. Thanks everyone.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. I always expect someone's going to ask if I lost my job after the process, <laughs> but I didn't.
0: You've been listening to a talk from the SCA Lectures podcast series. To hear more on topics relevant to the specialty coffee industry, visit www.scanews.coffee and subscribe to this lecture series. Thanks for listening.